You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. American finance is dominating European soccer, and we're discussing why they're doing that. And I genuinely believe that it will be helpful in transitioning it through this demographic cliff that we have of legacy fans. I'm Francine Lacroix, fresh off a plane from New York City, but here in the London studio. I'm David Merritt, fresh off the Central Line, also in the London studio. And this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast that connects you with the stories at the heart of the city of London. And Dave, I would really argue the story that touches Londoners' hearts more than any other story is one about football. Fernandinho takes his hands on the most coveted prize, an English football, and holds it aloft. The firecrackers go off, the flames, the streamers all around the Etihad Stadium. Yes, of course, all that passion and excitement was out in full force this past weekend during the climax of the Premier League. And the other big football story of the week is, of course, that the Chelsea deal has been given the green light. The government has given a licence allowing the sale of Chelsea Football Club to a consortium led by American businessman Todd Bowley and the Premier League has also now approved the purchase. So here we are yet again, American money buying a British football team. So this week in the city, we're asking this question. Are American owners changing the fabric of European football? Because in fact, this sale means that next season, more than half of England's top 20 teams for the very first time will be backed by US money. Now, that's quite a milestone when you think about how unpopular many of the English Premier League's American owners have proved themselves to be thus far. Yeah, you know, and think about the the catastrophe that was the proposed Super League. And that was met with almost unanimous fury across Europe. It's one of the most ridiculous proposals I've ever seen in my life. We don't uh, support it and uh, support the creation of this European Super League. I think it's uh, not in the interests of uh, of fans, it's not in the interests of, of football. Yeah, and it, that, that, that proposal collapsed uh, almost as quickly as it was introduced. And I think that whole experiment was just a reminder of this very fundamental culture clash between American owners who really have their eyes on the bottom line and the fans, of course, who want trophies, silverware, success, and of course, that fundamental aspect of competition that you can be relegated if you don't succeed. And of course, the fans really want heavy financial investment because 
good players cost a lot of money. So we're going to go into all of that with our guest this week, Roger Mitchell. He's founder of sports consulting firm Albaquiara. He's got a wide-ranging resume with experience in investment bank, in sports journalism, and he was even the first chief executive of the Scottish Premier League from 1998 to 2002. Roger, why are so many American sports investors interested in British football when a lot of them are actually making losses? The first way I would answer it, you know, and I'm a finance guy myself, the the best opportunities to get a return on capital is buying something that you think has got incredible brand value, customer loyalty, but is run poorly. So um, our American cousins, who I, I welcome a great deal, um, they believe that um, sports franchises, they, as they would call them, uh, are the ultimate consumer brand and can be run significantly better. And when they look at the benchmark valuations of American sports franchises, they say Europe's the place to be because we'll get two kickbacks. One will be operational uh, efficiencies of running it better. The second will be re-rating because in America, these kind of assets are, are rated differently and higher. So that's why they're there. This is a big financial opportunity for them. So what do the Americans think, the, the owners think they can do to run these clubs better? Is it just on a club-by-club basis? Obviously, we had the Super League proposal, which collapsed, and that was a big structural change to make the businesses more uh, regular, I suppose, make the income more predictable. Are, what are the proposals to, 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 to make the money machine of the Premier League more efficient? That's a very good question. I would answer it like this. Um, If you look at how American sport has always been set up, it has been set up um, out the gate to make a profit. Uh, What what do I mean by that? Um, uh, They have got a salary cap, which means that uh, marginality is uh, guaranteed at the start. They do not have the volatility of promotion and relegation. And I'm using financial terms here. You know, vol would be a key thing for an investor to mm-hmm. look at. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, you you don't have uh, in America the cost of youth development uh, um, because that comes from the draft system. So um, Americans look at European sport, and this is the big question. Do they realize that it is different and will probably right. always remain mm-hmm. different? Or uh, do they, uh, are they a little bit naive? But those things you just, I mean, they are fundamental. You know, the salaries are obviously a huge one. Um, but the relegation question, that was at the, that was at the heart, wasn't it, of the Super League uh, outrage that was here. Both of those things. And, and then this youth development question, which again, that kind of grassroots club. I mean, you but can't change any of these things, can but you? But Dave, it's that, but it's also the culture, right? The love of football in Europe that's almost loved as much as it, it, it's like it's your hometown it's your, it's your country religion. right and if you look at the European Super League that really rocked football that lasted 48 hours because people didn't understand the passion it was shot passion. down right I mean, yeah it was the passion of the fans so well, isn't there a fundamental misunderstanding here of what the game is all about here in Europe well um, you know what's happening in Europe um, for the last 30 years is what I call the polarization. Like in any content business, whether it's the music business or movies now, uh, you know, if I I refer to Martin Scorsese saying, oh, these days everybody just makes um, Marvel franchise movies, sport is going in that direction. You know, um, the direction of travel is clear. Um, What is being thought about, in my humble opinion, is who controls it. 
um, the Super League was a breakaway league. Um, but what you've seen with UEFA and their proposals for the new Champions League, which they had to do a U-turn on, was pretty much the Super League by another name. So let's not confuse direction of travel with who gets to call themselves the owner of sport. But Roger, fans are worried, right? And if you look at the American yeah. influx of money into English football, it began in the mid-2000s with the Glazers which owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they took charge of Man U, and they are not loved by the fans. No. Um, look, Does that uh, matter? I, I mean, you, do, do they need to be matter. loved by the fans? It, it, well, well the, 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 this is the nub of it, isn't it? Because, you know, I've been involved in, in football and running football in Europe for 25 years, and I characterize the fan relationship with owners as this. It's the leave your credit card behind the bar culture and when you're maxed out get lost and we'll find somebody with a new credit card the fans look like owners that way um, in, in, in America it's not like that fans are content and understand that the owners are in it for a financial return and, and the, the franchises will make a profit culturally that is the biggest difference now the, so the way I look at it is this is when we say the fans guys I'm asking you, what fans do you mean? Because is it the legacy fans, the people of my generation who think exactly as you've said on, on this podcast, or is it the younger generation who look at things completely differently? You know, so but, but one of the both, issues... isn't it Roger? Mm, I mean, who wanted the European both. Super League? No one it, it, it in is, Europe. It, JP Morgan wanted it, right? Well, and, and even well, that was... You, you, you mean around you you mean fans you mean fans like that i i suggest that the most vociferous of fans are what i would call legacy fans you know uh, and the the there is a transition i like to call it a demographic cliff where if you look at the average age of uh, inverted commas air quotes fans in every sport in the world they're 50 plus they're mainly male and and they're mainly white let's be honest that is going to change so um, the direction of tra travel is clear. The big question is, do the new American owners, whom I welcome, do they have the EQ to manage this transition in a way that uh, does it for the benefit of everybody? That's the big question. About, I mean, all fans, regardless of age, Roger, don't they want, want trophies? They want silverware. And the most successful clubs have not been necessarily the ones with the American model of ownership. We've had... Man City, obviously, backed by the UAE. We've got a lot of excitement about what the Saudi Arabian owners of Newcastle might do. And obviously Chelsea, of course, right, which is you know so in the news at the moment. But you and also have fans, underdogs sometimes. I, I mean, these these you know these football clubs really come out of nowhere and they win the big trophy. Right, Abramovich and that's was the saviour, right? You know, regardless of where he was from. I mean, to your credit card point, Roger. I mean, yes, they love the fact that these investors are putting money in, but it's been that inpouring of cash that has resulted in trophies. It's not some sort of uh -huh. new model of management, is it? Yeah, but what, what I'm saying is um, that model that you're talking about hasn't really worked for anybody. Um, uh, what do I mean by that? If you exclude the sovereign the sovereign investors and the oligarchs who are not sensitive to money, they have got other objectives. Uh, if you exclude them financially, this isn't working for anybody. Um, nobody was making money. Uh, a lot of clubs were bankrupt. 
um, especially clubs trying to get into the, 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 the top league, uh, trying to avoid relegation. English football as an industry is not financially sustainable. So it needs a new model. The problem is you're rightly pointing out to is that the fan culture is we don't care about money. You don't get to make a profit. And if you can't spend on players anymore, we would like you to move aside and get somebody else in. Talk to us a little bit about Chelsea. So it's loss making, right? They could have new owners. They could be American. Do you think they would be prepared to make investments, the right investments to ensure that the club has success? (laughs) It's a loss making Uh, club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, let's say, uh, will they change? Will they change the structural uh, investments of the cu- the club to make it sustainable in its own right? I believe they will. I, I think that they will not just throw money at it for trophies the way that uh, Abramovich has. Chelsea fans need to get their head around that, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. What I would say to you uh, is that so much money in football is spent really, really badly. If you remember the early days of Abramovich at Chelsea, they were buying the, any player that passed by the window, basically, um, and, and a lot of them didn't work out. It's, it'll be the same at Newcastle. It's the same everywhere. And uh, When you think of the money that is wasted by bad due diligence, by bad recruitment processes in football, I think it's not necessarily the case that it's the wall of money you should be looking for. I think what the Americans bring as investors is to be welcomed. I mean, four point three billion. Pa- I mean, what do you, that's a big price, right, for this club. What do you what do you think about that price? Do you think that's fair? And they're going to be able to extract value, both Bowley, but also you know Clear Lake Capital, who are backing him, California-based um, fund. Are they going to get their return on on that size size of investment? I deal with this a lot, and I would ask you another one in return. Um, if you look at um, America, because we're talking about American culture coming into Europe here, if you look at the way that American finance values uh, what you would call community consumer businesses, uh, and they could be anyone's, they could be Pin Interest, they could be Airbnb, they could be Uber, um, they do it on a per user basis. Um, if you applied the metrics of per user basis that are out there in valuations to any serious football club that says it's got a billion fans, um, I could make a case. I'm not saying it's correct. I could debate mm-hmm. very strongly that it should be a much higher value than four billion, if that makes sense. So it's cheap. <laughs> Going cheap, cheap, Chelsea. <laughs> well, that, that, that's the, that's what I call about the re-rating. That, yeah. That's the re-rating what? argument. Yeah, I was going to say, let's put a consortium together. Let's go. Well, this, yeah, well, listen, that's what's <laughs> going on. You know, like, you know, the, the, this, this is some of the thinking that is going on that is called the famous re-rating play. I helped one American PE company uh, buy a Belgian club. And, you know, they say quite openly, the, the, if we can apply the per user metrics of valuation to the most loyal fan consumer base that you get in an in industry, we can we can do really well here. Uh, that's that's the play, guys. That's the play. I just got one more question about Chelsea, Roger. You know, what does it mean for sure. London? You know, if we uh, see this investment going in or we see this restructuring, are there going to be a billion global Chelsea fans? Is it good for London that this deal has happened? 
Well, well, the, the changes in the football industry in the last 20 years have been great for London, have been great for major cities because humans are humans and families like to live in great cities. The last 30 years has been really positive for London as the global um, football industry has, has congregated around world-class cities. And that will continue. But you've already got a resurgent Arsenal and Tottenham this year. Um, West Ham are, are consolidated as a senior team. London football is where it's at. It's where families want to be. And Chelsea's only going one way, and it's positive. So, Roger, do you think that having more American owners actually increases the likelihood of a revival of the European Super League? Will we get it in our lifetime? Uh, well, I've been on record consistently saying we will. Uh, the only thing in debate is who can get to brand up. Will it be UEFA or will it be some new organisation? Let me say this to you. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. You know, there is no way that senior financial experts are going to allow the discount for the volatility of relegation to continue. They want to eliminate volatility. That's what a good investor does. So it's inevitable. How that works with the rest of the football pyramids is an interesting conundrum and one that I spend a lot of time thinking about. That's going to be a big change, Roger, isn't it, when it comes? Um, and, and one which, you know, the fans are going to object to massively or, you know, the per user the fans. base. As you... we, we, need, <laughs> we, we, need, we need to define the fans because in 10 years, the, gen, the legacy fans of my generation will be 10 years older, will be pensioners. And, you know, one thing I would leave you with, guys, is this. The gaming industry is significantly bigger than the sports industry. doesn't have the same weight of um, importance, but it's significantly bigger. Those kids don't care about promotion and relegation the way you and I do. They don't. So you look over the horizon, you see where the destination is. The question is, which road are we going to take to get there? So that was Roger Mitchell, founder of sports consulting firm Alba Chiara telling Francine and I that the Football Super League will be back. So we thought we should then probably bring in David Hellier. He is the man whose byline is on all of the big football stories coming out of the Bloomberg newsroom. And we want to hear his side of the story. David, he, he was saying the Super League is going to be back, like number one, like that the, the American owners are yeah. not going to tolerate this kind of unreliable revenue stream so relegation as a yeah. kind of threat like that was going to go out the window in years to come and he said there's kind of no point fighting it i mean i kind of think yeah it's gonna it's gonna keep coming back it's a continual tension between between the american owners and all the other owners and the fans basically there will be huge changes but there won't be um you know that the super league as it was framed last year I don't think we'll come back. But, you know, fans, sport, I mean, I think he, he seemed to think fans is a bit of an outmoded concept, right? That, that they're users yeah. of the brand, so to speak, and that there was this sort of demographic shift happening in, yeah. in amongst the kind of the user base, if you like, rather than the fan base. Yeah, I mean, I've heard all these arguments, and I get where he's coming from, and I, I, you know, I don't disagree entirely. It's just that 
I think that with football, it is also it's one of the things that is kind of you know passed down through generations. So, yeah. um, you know, the traditions of it are passed down. Whereas, you know, I have nothing in common with the way that my son um, accesses music right. or, or 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 you know computer games or whatever, uh, or the phone even TikTok. You know, I don't have anything in common with them. But but with football, we absolutely align. You know, they, they kind of the, the traditions are quite hard to break. And also, I think. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally disagreeing with what Roger said because I think you know he knows a lot about it and and he he comes at it from a marketing financial point of view. But I mean, the reason I think European football is so dominant compared to American football globally is because it is so fascinating. The storylines for them to change, they need the relegation and promotion. They need the Leicester to come come up and win the the, the league. They need Notts Forest to, you know, who who last won. The, European Cup 44 years ago or something to be playing at Wembley with a with a hope of getting into the Premiership after 25 years, you know. So all those storylines keep changing. But I mean, what I would say is that um, you know you you do need to have a compromise. So you need to kind of um, make it a little less risky for a team that loses everything, loses its way. But you don't want to stop the possibility of a dream becoming a reality. Thank you to Bloomberg's reporter. David Hellier. But just before we let you go, is your son available, David? Could you maybe pass the phone over? Yeah, sure, he is. Hang on a second. Hi, hi. Hi. Um, could you tell us your name and how old you are? My name is Ethan Hellier and I'm 16 years old. Excellent. And I hear you are a Chelsea fan, Ethan, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Ethan, does it matter to you who owns the club or do you just care more about Chelsea winning matches? Yeah, I care about who owns the club. I would rather someone that has Chelsea in their best interest. But, yeah, ultimately it's about winning matches and trophies and stuff. And are you a bit worried about the future under these new US owners? I'm more excited, to be honest. I feel like we need a bit of a change to improve it. So change is good, but winning is also important, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ethan, thanks so much. I'm Francine Lacqua. And I'm cricket fan David Merritt. And that's it for this week's episode of In The City. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, if you like the show, please rate it. Check out the Bloomberg UK website for more news and views. This episode was produced by Samasadi. Special thanks to our guests, Roger Mitchell. And to David Hellier for all the knowledge. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. All right, bye. Bye, all.